when you get caught up in the divorce proceedings, sometimes it's easy to not even realize that you're you're using the kids as a punishment for the other person. And you might not be aware that you're doing it. So that's one thing to keep aware of. Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals. Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis. Welcome to Financially Ever After. I am your host, Stacey Francis. And today we are talking about a topic that is the number one thing in our life, our kids, our kids. The number one worry that most moms have coming out of divorce is how my kids are going to recover and if they're going to be able to survive and thrive from this divorce. And our guest today, Sherry Smith, is here to talk just about that. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified divorce coach, a co-parent coach, an author, a speaker, and has her own podcast that you'll hear more about later in the podcast here today at Financially Ever After. She brings her training as a divorce coach, as well as her life experiences, as well as her practice in family therapy. And she's committed to promoting non-adversarial divorce environments that support the family system. Sherry explains that she has seen that children can become traumatized based on how the divorce is handled, as well as the post-divorce time and the relationship between the parents. Her goal is to give all of us, all of you, the tools and techniques to put yourself on the path to being successful co-parents. Sherry explains what co-parenting really is and what it's not and what to do if unfortunately you're finding challenges and stumbling blocks in your relationship with your ex going forward. She shares top tools and techniques to help you move beyond these challenges and for the two of you to be able to be on the same page. And make sure you stay to the end where she shares how you can work with a ex co-parent spouse who might be sabotaging and not playing fairly and doing their part to be a good co-parent. She gives you tools, techniques, and important resources that you can use to make sure that your children are supported, empowered, and have the best family unit possible. So without further ado, please help me welcome our special guest today, Sherry. Smith. Sherry, I'm so excited to have you here. You are, as we just heard in their introduction, a marriage and family therapist, and you have a specialty in co-parenting. And this is a really important topic for our listeners on Financially Ever After, because the majority of the women listening in have kids and are going to have their ex-spouse in their life for the rest of their children's lives. And possibly rest of their life as well. So I wanted to talk to you about this topic, but first off, wanted to bring a a great big welcome to you and excited to have you join us today. 
Thank you so much, Stacey. It is my honor and pleasure to be here today. Looking forward to chatting with you about co-parenting. Yeah, for every of you, all of you listening, you know, Sherry and I worked a little bit together before this podcast of what are the most important questions that I hear and that you hear people ask. The first thing, can you explain what co-parenting really is? Is that just the attending each other's, the children's wedding in another 15 years? Or is there a lot more to it than that? Yeah, there's a little bit more to it than that. I think it's probably best to describe co-parenting in relationship to parallel parenting, because those are two different concepts. So co-parenting is when you have a somewhat amicable relationship with your former spouse, and you're able to parent from two different homes. So the parenting relationship is still there as it was before, but you're doing it from two different homes and you're, you're somewhat joined and united in the way you parent your kids. Now, there could be some variations among households, but generally speaking, for the larger themes, you're going to be joined and united. Parallel parenting, on the other hand, is when you have two former spouses that aren't able to get along at all, despite every effort. And so they have to parent separately and there's very minimal contact. So obviously, if you're able to, co-parenting is going to be so much better for your kids. So in order to co-parent, you have to both accept the romantic relationship and all the issues that were in that relationship are now in the past, and you're stepping into a new relationship as co-parents, almost like a business partnership. That and that sounds helps. so easy, but not really. No, it's not. When you think of two business partners, Generally speaking, they don't usually get involved in each other's personal lives. There's not a lot of emotion in that relationship. They have a common goal, and that is to run this business and make it successful. Well, it's the same with kids. So your common goal is to raise these kids and make them successful. So you want to try to treat each other like your business partners. So my question, for those individuals who are in the process or exiting the divorce process, and it's been very litigious. Is it possible to co-parent versus parallel parent, even though you've had a hellacious divorce? That's a great question. What I find, and this kind of ties into another topic we're going to be talking about, there is a kind of a trajectory for the family system when it comes to divorce. And in other words, the whole family system goes through a transition, and it starts the minute the couple separates. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, there's a three-year transition. And this is very general, but I find it to be pretty tried and true with the clients I work with. The first year, the theme is, what the heck just happened? And that's usually when any kind of legal action is going to occur. It usually starts in that first year. So the first year is, what the heck just happened? Year two is, let's fix what we did wrong in year one. And year three is, let's get used to the new normal. Now, if it's a long, drawn-out legal process, which can happen, can be more than a year, there's still emotions that kind of happen or that are more intense in that first year that are not going to be as intense in year two. So mm -hmm, by that mm -hmm. time, let's just assume you're still involved in the legal process. You may still have some of the same negotiations happening in that year too, but you're used to the process by now. You kind of know all the players involved and your emotions around the marriage ending some or have kind of moved beyond that initial intensity in year two. So having said that, if you can give it time, you may not be able to co-parent right away, right out of the gate. It may take some time, but 
anything that I'm going to be talking about in our interview today, shoot for that as a goal. You might not be able to do it right out of the gate, but make it a goal that you will strive to get there. Because mm-hmm. emotions change, feelings change, people move on, even when there's a huge lawsuit involved or a huge legal process involved. But if you can have it as a goal and accept that, okay, I'm going to have some emotions as we move through this, but ultimately I want my kids to benefit, then you're going to have that common goal in mind. And so what I'm hearing you say is after the divorce is finalized, there is a process that you typically see of the first year of like, what the heck just happened, which I totally get. And a number two, year two, okay, what went wrong in year one? What could we do better? Mm -hmm. And then year three, starting to move on, starting to move on, which is healthy for everyone. That is so powerful to have that timeframe. For those women who are going through this process, who maybe are in year three or four that are not moving on or having that struggle or seeing that their ex-spouse is not moving on, what kind of help can you get? Okay. And I think that's a great question. And I also want to manage expectations. Co-parenting may not work for everybody. My hope is that it does. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that people can get there because it's going to, the kids are going to benefit if you can co-parent. But for some people, it's not possible, especially if you're dealing with an abusive situation or you have someone who's in active alcoholism or generally it's just a really, really toxic relationship. Mm -hmm. Parallel Mm -hmm. parenting might be better for those situations. So when I speak of co-parenting, I'm talking about ultimately you're able to get to a place where you're somewhat amicable in the way you raise your kids. Back to your original question, which was what can the women do that aren't able to get there with their ex? I find in my research around this topic, the women that tend to be able to get there are the ones who look at their own role. They focus more on their own role and the demise of the marriage and not so much focusing on what the ex did. When you really live in that Mm -hmm. world of what was done to me, how I was wronged, when you live that way and you focus so much on that, and I have a lot of obsessive thinking around that. It's really hard to move on and make yourself happy. And if you can't get him on board with co-parenting, if you can get yourself to where you're feeling pretty good in your own skin, you're in a good place, you feel like you have a sense of self, you're in turn going to be able to parent your child better. And if you can at least create a positive home environment for when they are with you with good routine and structure, loving, nurturing environment it's going to offset a lot of the damage that might be happening in the other house Mm -hmm. because you can't change them. You can only change you. I had a hope that there was like a magic pill that you could get them (laughs) to take each day. And, 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 you know, I actually have been looking for the exercise pill, the pill you take so you don't have to exercise. And you know what, Sherry, I have not found that one either yet. So if you find it, any of you listening know of it, you let me know. know. I I want to leave the listeners with some hope. What you can do, if you can get to a point where you're really, you're more emotionally regulated, you're not dealing with all the high emotions that come at the earlier, that year one and two kind of period. If you can get to a place where you are emotionally regulated and you want to make an attempt to extend an olive branch to your ex, there are a couple of elements that will help that become more well-received. And they are a willingness to take some ownership and your role in the demise of the marriage 
a willingness to see their perspective, even if it's just a little bit, you don't have to see the whole perspective, but if you can just see a little bit of their perspective, if you can have those two things, a willingness to see their perspective and a willingness to take some ownership, and then also speak using I language rather than you language, I and we language. Those things will really help that conversation go better. And you might even try, if you can't do it, you don't feel like you're going to be able to stay regulated in a phone conversation or in person, try an email form, written form, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then have a friend look at it and make sure that it's not too triggering, that your language sounds neutral in the email, a friend or even a therapist if you're working with a therapist. And then you can at least make the attempt and feel like you're giving it a try. There's also co-parenting therapists. In some states, they have what's called a parenting coordinator, which is a person that acts as an intermediary between the parents and helps them learn how to communicate more effectively and helps them to become joined and united in their parenting. And hopefully the goal there is that they are eventually able to wean off of the parenting coordinator. So there are different options out there if they want to give it a go. Yeah. And I'm actually really glad that you brought up parent coordinators because for a good number of our cases where there's very difficult communication issues and frustration, anxiety, anger, and and all those other emotions, we find it can be very helpful. Not perfect, but very helpful, especially if you have the right parenting coordinator. And that's something I would share with everyone too, just as when you're choosing your mediator, when you're choosing your therapist or your lawyer, your financial advisor, There are many different folks and someone who might be a good fit for your dear friend may not be the right fit for your relationship with your ex-spouse, your family, and the dynamics in there. And I've seen unbelievable success and I've also seen not as much. And the ones that where that relationship does not work as well is often where there's a mismatch. And it could be that the ex-spouse is very domineering, bordering on the edge of bullying, and you have a parenting coordinator that cannot stand in their ground. Just be very careful, you know, if your ex-spouse is very domineering, that you go and you look for a parenting coordinator that really can stand in their own ground, not being adversarial and not necessarily advocating for you and what's right for you and only for you, but being able to really stand in that role to be that person to bring the two of you together versus always having to stand down because one person is asserting their role, their their goals, and making them really demising the whole process of working together. The thing is, having a marriage and family therapy background, it is really hard to hold space for two different energies. <laughs> it's really hard to stay neutral in that and not get sucked into one side or the other. You re- a good parenting coordinator is really skilled at staying neutral and being able to manage all that energy. And I have had cases where the person was not able to do that. So yeah, like as you mentioned, sometimes it's just not the right fit. Maybe the parenting coordinator is great at what they do. It's just not the right fit for the situation. Yeah. So I want to go back to the tools that you gave because these are such good tools of, you know, that, as you mentioned, Sherry, extending that olive branch of you know, number one, really identifying and owning your role in the end of the relationship, the marriage. And that's Mm -hmm. a tough thing to do, but wow, is that a healthy thing? And by sharing that, 
It's instead of just the pointing you, you, you. And the other thing that you share is being able to see their point of view, maybe just a little, but being able to start to to see that, to see their point of view. And then finally, the language of I, we, not you, you, you. Back to that language, can you give an example of you language and how you can turn that to I or we, just to kind of get our brains around a situation where maybe the kids were dropped off two hours late. And so now dinner's late. It's a school night, blah, 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 blah. How can we go from what that you language might be to I, we? Okay. So a bad example would be, let's just say it's their names are Susan and John. And John's the one that dropped off the kids two hours late. Yep. So the wrong way to do it would be for Susan to say, John, you are always late. You're never on time. You don't give a crap about what I have going on, what my schedule is. All you care about is yourself. So you can see how that would Mm -hmm. be triggering for somebody. Immediately, they're going to get defensive and they're going to start defending themselves, which is going to cause the person that's doing the attacking to be even more angry and do more attacking. And it's going to escalate a different approach. And this would require some self-soothing, which maybe some deep breathing to calm yourself down so that when you approach John, when Susan approaches John, she's in a calmer state. Because what happens when you're really upset like that is the more impulsive part of the brain, which is the amygdala, hijacks the more logical part of the brain. So now the logical part of the brain's in the background and the amygdala is in charge. So you're going to say things that That's you regret. That's a little scary. You're going to say <laughs> some things that you regret that you yeah. can't unsay. You're going to say some things you can't unsay. So calm yourself down, kind of get that logical part of the brain back online so it's in charge now, and then come back around and say, John, I just want to touch base with you about dropping off the kids late here the other night. For me, I was really working hard to get dinner ready because we had to get them fed so that we could get their homework done because both of them have big tests tomorrow. And so we needed to make sure they had plenty of sleep, got their bath done and, and had plenty of sleep. Now, I understand from previous conversations, you've had a big project at work. And I'm wondering if perhaps that might have played a role in you dropping off the kids late. I was wondering if we could come up with a solution next time so that maybe I can meet you halfway somewhere or we can work out a solution where we won't have such a late drop off the next time around. I understand you've got responsibilities that you need to take care of that sometimes take precedent. So really, you got to calm yourself down to be able to do that. Got to calm yourself down. That is magical. (laughs) that is magical and and I can see how powerful that is and for those of you listening you know I just want to let you know it doesn't mean that you're giving up your power at all Mm -hmm. you are putting your kids first you are putting that relationship with your children what's best for your children first and if this happens over and over and over again and John is not able to meet you halfway or to really take steps, is that when you might reach out to a parenting coordinator? You could. Or is um, there a a better step? I would try this first. I wouldn't jump into the parent coordinator. If there's multiple issues where he's just not going to hear you, I would make one more attempt and come at it from a bigger theme. So I've noticed these themes are happening and I'm wondering if there's something we need to talk about because it seems like this is presenting an obstacle for us to be able to effectively co-parent. 
Is there something we need to talk about so we can get past it and try to get on the same page? You can try that. You still might not get movement because I think we get hung up in these individual circumstances. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there's something bigger going on. This person's being passive aggressive or they're carrying some kind of resentment and they just need to say it. And if you can hear it and not react strongly to whatever the issue is and use those same common, try to see their perspective, take some ownership, use I statements. If you can still do that while they're telling you what the thing is, then you may be able to get past it. But my hunch is usually when it's happening over and over, there's some kind of resentment. Something else. Something underneath that. And that actually goes, I think, beautifully into my next question that we talked about a little bit before of what boundaries should be in place for co-parents? Ideally, you want to be back to that business partner analogy I was talking about. You don't want to talk about personal lives. You don't want to talk about the date you had last weekend. You want to keep it purely on (laughs) the kids. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And and you'll be surprised how many people want to know, are you dating? Who else is in your life? And it's just don't go there with them. Just don't take the bait. Try not to take the bait. So in general, you want to keep the conversation future focused, fact based and about the kids and logistics and try not to get sucked into any kind of issues around the past, what happened in the marriage and anything that's going on in your personal life. And we, you know, drop off, pick up. It's I try not to go in each other's homes. Ideally, it works best to do drop off and pick up at school. So you don't really have to interact. If you do have to interact with each other, even if you really hate each other, if you can somehow manage a hello, some type of cordial interaction in front of the kids, that really eases their anxiety quite a bit. So yeah. even if it's just a hello. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you brought up the kids because I know that a lot of the you know, moms are listening here and thinking about, you know, how can I support my kids? And so how can co-parenting and co-parents best emotionally support their kids? Keep in mind, you know, back to that three-year window. Mm -hmm. And the first year, if you are not the one that chose the divorce, and maybe even if you were the one to choose it, sometimes you want to win over the loyalty of the kids. You want to kind of look better in their eyes in comparison to the other parent. What that does for the kids, it creates what's called a loyalty bind, which means the kids, a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety about where to put their love. And and particularly if you're bad talking the other partner, the other parent, and your child has a lot of traits like that other parent, it can feel like you're criticizing them. So that's just some things to keep in mind. I think sometimes when you get caught up in the divorce proceedings, Sometimes it's easy to not even realize that you're you're using the kids as a punishment for the other person. And you might not be aware that you're doing it. So that's one thing to keep aware of. If you can manage it, at least be neutral when you speak about the other parent. Bad talking them or criticizing them is a big no-no. Saying things like you're just like your father in a negative way is really oh, bad. Oh gosh. Yes. <laughs> Years yeah. of therapy in the making. Yes. Yes. So that's one thing you want to keep in mind. If you can't be positive about the ex, try to be neutral if you can. Secondly, you want to be able to sit with your children or your child in their emotions. So everybody's grieving the loss of the family system. Anytime you experience a change like this, there's going to be a grief. It's a loss and it's going to be grieving, even if you're the one choosing the divorce. It Mm -hmm. might be that you're grieving the loss of the family unit. 
So being aware that there's grieving happening, even for the kids, and back to the three years, a lot of the grief is happening in year one. So what you want to look for with kids is around the transition, there's a lot of acting out, a lot of talking back, a lot of behavior problems, crying, clinginess around the transition point, a lot of, I don't want to go to dads, I don't want to go to moms. You're going to get that kind of thing in the first year. Those are just signs of grief, signs of kids trying to get adjusted to the change. Kids don't like change. And this is a change that's happening and it's not their choice. They would choose to have everybody together. So trying to be empathetic to that and being able to sit in those feelings with them without trying to control it, try to stuff it, try to make it go away, try to fix it. None of those things. Just sit with them in that emotion. And the better you're able to do that for yourself and sit with your own emotions, the better you're going to be able to do that for your kids. So recognizing that you're grieving too and to try to be kind to yourself and nurture yourself and leaning into that grief, leaning into those feelings and then helping your kids lean into their feelings. The only way out of it is through it. So Mm -hmm, the better mm -hmm. you're able to do that, those are skills they're going to be able to use later in life, learning how to sit with their own emotions. What a gift. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up. I went through the coursework and became a certified grief recovery coach and I don't coach. You know, I'm a financial advisor, but there's so much grief in divorce. It just grief of what you thought your relationship could be all these different things, the change in what your life now looks like and just recognizing that that's there and that it's okay to grieve. Again, like you said, Sherry, even if you were the one to choose that this was the right thing to move forward of uh, divorce or separation. We talked a little bit about that first year, the second year and third year of then moving on. Is that the same time frame for how long it takes for a family system to recover from a divorce? Is it a similar time frame? You can look at that three-year transition from each individual's perspective and also for the whole family system. So each individual and the family system might express their grief differently, but generally that's three-year transition is going to happen. And it Mm -hmm. applies to the whole family system too. So for the kids, you might get a lot of pushback around the transition and a lot of behavior problems around the transition in year one. By year three, they should be pretty well adjusted to it. So one of the things I forgot to ask when we were talking about this of the be positive, at least neutral, what happens if your ex-spouse is not playing by those rules? And what I picture of what I would most worry about is that I'm being positive or at least neutral about my ex-spouse and really doing the best I can to foster that love and that relationship between my children and my ex-spouse. And they're not playing by the same rules. And so the children might be getting a different image or experience when they're with my ex about myself. I mean, I worry that there could be some parental alienation there And that me being the nice person doing what I should be doing is leaving me open to just be judged by my children that there's nothing wrong with the ex-spouse, you know, is doing everything right and has that positive communication about them, but I'm not getting that same treatment. And could that hurt my relationship with the children long term? So actually, 
you're doing your best to stay neutral and not trash the ex, but they're not doing following that same rule book. So going back to creating a good routine, structure, loving, nurturing environment where you're sitting with your kids and their emotions, that is going to offset a lot of what's happening in the other house. So you can't control that. And you can spend all your time and energy in your head creating scenarios on how you're going to change that and you're not going to be able to. So trying to accept what is and say, okay, well, I'm just going to work on my house and make sure I do what I have a healthy relationship with my kids and I follow the right rule book. In time, the truth will be revealed. And now you have to be patient. You have to have faith. You have to trust that that's going to happen. But if you can do that, it might take a while, but the kids ultimately are going to see which parent is more well-adjusted. Now, Having said that, there's one little caveat I want to add. If you provide that for them, for your kids, you may in turn get more negative behavior from them, believe it or not. Doesn't seem like it's fair, but the reason why that is, is because now you're their safe place. You've become the safe place to land. Now, when they're over there, they sense that they need to behave a certain way to get love or be more performative for love with you they realize they can be their authentic selves. So you may get more of the negative behavior. That's actually a compliment. Believe it or not, that means you've done your job. Yeah, no, and and, and actually it's interesting, Sherry, because when you first said that, I'm like, I so don't get that. But it makes sense that if they're at the other household and that household is negative towards you and judging you and um, that the children are going to pick up on that of, this is a space where I have to behave and be on my best behavior or I'll, God forbid that could be me. And it goes mm-hmm. back to exactly what you said of you're just like your mother when you did blank, right? You know, we recognize and I see it the more I look in the mirror as I age, the more I look like my mother. And I realize <laughs> that I am a mini of my mother of my <laughs> behaviors. I mean, I, on Saturday, made lists for each of the kids and my husband and myself of all of our tasks and chores. I was like, oh my God, this is what happened every Saturday. I'm just like her. And so someone criticizing my mother, it's a criticism of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're each Mm -hmm. a piece of each of our, our parents. And so I can see exactly where that time with that other parent is not necessarily the safe space to be able to really be real. And so bringing that home to the parent who is offering that accepting, nurturing, non-judgmental, positive environment being the case. Yeah. Yeah. And also in order to be kind of on their best behavior over here means they carry stress around that ever at their dad's is a scenario we're talking about. So when they come home, all of a sudden they can release all that stress. It's going to, sometimes it's going to look like surly kind of behavior. So you just kind of have to be prepared for that. Another approach in terms of the talking about the spouse and the former spouse in front of the kids, let's just say, for example, the child's really good, really musically inclined and really good at playing the guitar. And his father was a musician. Mm -hmm. So you might say, wow, you are so good at that. You're just like your dad. You got that from your dad. So it's more of a positive way of referencing those traits and not a negative, not a criticism. I love that. And I feel like that is a perfect way to end this unbelievable podcast. It's, um, (laughs) you know, what I love Sherry is that I feel like so much of 
navigating these types of issues is very nebulous and kind of soft and fluffy and how do we do it, but you've been able to give concrete tools and strategies in a way that I've never seen before. Oh, and so wonderful. I just Conference. want to, <laughs> I want to say a sincere thank you because every parent is going through this, even the most amicable relationships. There's a reason you ended up going and parting ways. And so, you know, still continuing to be in your lives, in children's lives together, it can be hard no matter what. So I would love for our listeners to find out more about how they can contact you. And the biggest question, how do you work with your clients? And can you work with clients outside of the state that you live in? And what yes. does that look like? Yeah. So first of all, I want to mention my two books. One is The Successful Co-Parenting Workbook. Both of these are available on Amazon. The Successful Co-Parenting Workbook is designed to be used by both co-parents to help them come up with a parenting plan that maybe has a little bit more detail than they would have in their separation agreement or their legal okay. document. And it's designed to be used kind of as a team approach. But even if you aren't able to work with your former spouse, there are great strategies in there about how to sit with your kids and their emotions, how to manage your own emotions and all that. So that's the Successful Co-Parenting Workbook. The other book is called Divorce Resiliency, Release the Trauma of Your Divorce and Reconnect with Your Best Self. That's designed for women who are within two years post-separation. And it's kind of a catch-all of all you need to know to kind of get through that first two years. Those are on Amazon. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified divorce coach. And I have a coaching practice where I can see anybody all over the world. It's virtual. And they can reach out to me through my website, divorceresiliency.com. That's great. And that's wonderful because, and just for all of you listening, someone who operates under being a therapist, there are very important stringent rules about only working with individuals in your home state where you are licensed. But as a divorce coach, it really opens up the world, the country to be able to work with you. But I can tell you bring all of that knowledge to your coaching <laughs> relationships too. I so, do. I have a separate therapy practice where I just work in North and South Carolina. But it's two separate businesses. But yeah, the coaching business, I can see anybody anywhere. It's yeah. hard not to have my therapist self inform my coaching self. Yeah. <laughs> and how can our listeners get a hold of you? Where's your website? And we'll be sure to include that all in the show notes. Yeah. So it's divorceresiliency.com. You can contact me through that page. Everything you need to know about me is on that page, including information on my rates and services. Best way to get a hold of me. I also have a podcast called Stories of Divorce Resiliency. That if you're a podcaster, if you love podcasting or listening to podcasts, that might be one to add to your list. Well, all of you listening, we will have in the show notes, Amazon links to the two books that Sherry has authored, uh, The Successful Parenting Workbook, as well as Divorce Resiliency. So we'll put in there. We'll also have a link to your podcast, Stories of Divorce Resiliency, and then, of course, the link to your website so that everything for you listening today will be in show notes. And I can't thank you enough, Sherry, for being here and sharing this great information with us today. Absolutely. There's one thing I forgot to mention. There is a freebie on my website called the Seven Step Divorce Resiliency Action Guide. If they go there, they can put in their email address and get access to that. So that's one other thing I forgot to mention earlier. We will also put that link there too. So again, the Seven Step Divorce Resiliency Action yeah. Guide. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Sherry. Thank you so much, Stacey. This was a joy and a pleasure.
Thank you for joining us. As I mentioned, we are going to have all of those resources in our show notes and talking about resources. I want to make sure that you understand that we are here for you. In addition to challenges and worries about children, the number two topic women worry about, moms worry about, well, the finances, being able to provide financially for their children and to be able to provide for themselves financially for the long term. We know that women's income goes down by a third after divorce, and the highest population living in poverty above age 65 are divorced women. And our goal here at Francis Financial is to change these statistics. So if you have any questions about your financial situation, please do reach out. Whether you're going through the divorce process and negotiating what that settlement is going to be, or post-divorce and launching your new life, we can look at your financial picture from now out to age 95 and give you the important steps you need to take to put yourself on the path to financial security and long-term financial freedom. We have a fantastic second opinion program to give you this information, a second opinion on where you're at, what's happening, and if you have an advisor, what they're doing. It's always good to get a second opinion. And I know that if I go in for a heart surgery, I want actually not only a second, but possibly even a third opinion. So please do reach out to me. You can reach me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at francisfinancial.com, or you can go to our website, www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you so much for listening in to Financially Ever After, and we'll be speaking to you in two short weeks.